So the challenge with AI and HR is that we're actually a little behind the curve. IT, marketing, manufacturing, lots of other areas and functions within companies have adopted and started using AI. And it's just been a little bit slower to be introduced into HR, but that is definitely now changing. We are seeing more examples of companies using AI within HR. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest for this episode is Amy Abel Liu. She's the Vice President of Human Capital for the Conference Board. Amy's an expert when it comes to artificial intelligence in HR, amongst many other things. She knows all the ways that it can help make companies better, but she also has a good understanding of all its limitations. And she knows AI still has a long way to go. Regardless, she says AI is there to free humans up to be more creative in their jobs, not remove them from their jobs entirely. What do you say we dive right in? Amy Abel, welcome to the show. Thank you for uh, spending some time of your personal time to share with me and those that are listening today. Thank you. Adam, so delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited. So thank you. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. So to get everybody familiar, those who don't know you, if for some reason there's somebody on this earth that doesn't know you, can you give a synopsis of your background? Sure. I am the vice president of human capital from the conference board. And that means I'm a researcher applying my thoughts and practice and all these wonderful, great things around human capital and HR to the work that we all do. Excellent. So can you give a, a bigger picture of what the conference board, just the organization itself? Absolutely. So we are a not-for-profit research think tank. We're focused on developing insights for what's ahead. That's what we do. We gather information. We think about lots of really difficult topics, especially in human capital and HR. And we share that with our members and the companies that we work with. And what qualifies somebody to have the type of role that you have? I think a passion for HR starts with one. I mean, after I graduated from university, I worked for a few years and it wasn't in HR. And I just discovered my passion around working on the projects and processes that are in HR. So things like developing learning with others or how to help others perform in a better way that better than what they want to do. And these are all people issues around HR. So I went back to school and I got a couple of advanced degrees 
and I wanted to apply those that knowledge into the work that I do. That is my chosen profession. It's my professional endeavors to be as good of a HR and human capital professional as I possibly can be. Okay, so you're being humble. When you say a couple post degrees, we're talking a master's and we're also talking about a PhD. Both of those, or all of them are from NYU, right? Is that? Yes, actually. I'm a slightly unusual. All my degrees were from NYU. I happened to find a home that really supported my professional and learning endeavors and aspirations and they really honed it well and so i stayed with the same university it was not in well intended but that was what started it to be interesting so and then what's your stance did have they not necessarily nyu but just the programs that that you specifically went through how well did they prepare you to be where you are today i would say they prepared me to think about hr and human capital any particular content that you learn, and I learned my degrees from were from a while ago, so any particular content may evolve and shift, but how to approach the problem, how to think about problems, how to examine problems more deeply and to figure out what's going on, those are the skills that I really learned from my professors and from the school, and so that continues to carry me further and has prepared me quite well. Yeah, excellent. So I'd love to let everybody get a better sense of kind of who you are as a person. And once we go through a couple of rapid fire questions, I'd like to get into something that's a little more topical in terms of what's going on out in the world of human resources these days. Something that, that's going to be, if it's not already near and dear to people, it will be. And that's the area of artificial intelligence. Sound good? Sounds great. Go ahead. All right. So tell me a habit that you have, good, bad, or indifferent. So I have developed a good habit around getting up early. And when I say early, it's pretty early. I was not an early riser in my past, but somehow the the trade or the habit developed. And I just find that early time very peaceful, quiet, relaxing, whether it's catching up on email or just sort of catching up with life mentally by myself. And I really enjoy it. So I would recommend it. Great. And I'm glad that you bring that up. And it's so interesting that the timeliness of this, I typically ask everybody, I'm I'm just always so interested in if they're an introvert, an extrovert, or like what what falls in between ambivert, centrovert, it's called. And I've been thinking about, I'm like, I'm sure everyone's sick of hearing me ask those same questions. And something that has always been interesting to me also is that early riser or a night owl. So Uh uh, the fact that you've just without being prompted just giving me that that answer, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that question for now on. So thank you. For that. <laughs> Sounds good. And like I said, it wasn't always the case. Right? I am an early riser now, but it wasn't in the past. But I find it helpful. I really enjoy it. There's study after study about how some of the most successful people in the world attribute a, a really a good portion of their success to the discipline of getting up early and getting things done when they're not being distracted. So, but I do want to know. You said quite early. Can you quantify what quite early means? (laughs) So since the pandemic, it's actually been a little bit later because I think I don't have to do my commute as much or as long. I do have a longer commute, but it could range from 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Yeah, so now it could sometimes be a little bit later than that. (laughs) So that's a good thing, too. All right, you revel. (laughs) What's a piece of technology that you just couldn't live without? Oh, I just love that question. I thought of it 
and I'm going with my instant pot. That's an so, interesting one. Okay. Yes. You, gotta, you can't just throw that out there. You got to expand on that. <laughs> yes. So I have been a big fan now these last few years of the instant pot and I am not a professional cook or a amazing cook or anything like that, but I happen to uh, slow cooked meat dishes mm. like raising, stewing and things like that. And the instant pot is perfect for that kind of cooking, but also much faster. So you could do a corned beef in a quarter of the time or even less than what I would have done in my oven. So I'm just a huge fan of the Instant Pot, and I would totally would recommend it to everybody. There's websites and Facebook groups and all sorts of wonderful things that you can learn about it. There's quite a following, actually. All right. <laughs> Thank you for sharing, giving us a little more depth on who you are as a person. I'd now like to transition into an area that I understand you've become somewhat of a subject matter expert, and that's AI in the HR field. I'd love to get just kind of like a quick overview of what's going on in the field, and then I'll, I'll get a little more granular with some of my more technical questions, if that's all right. Sure, sure, absolutely. And that's been part of my role at the conference board, which is do research on topics that companies are thinking about and there are challenged with. And one of those topics, as you noted, is AI and artificial intelligence. So the challenge with AI and HR is that we're actually a little behind the curve. IT, marketing, manufacturing, lots of other areas and functions within companies have adopted and started using AI. And it's just been a little bit slower to be introduced into HR, but that is definitely now changing. We are seeing more examples of companies using AI within HR. And so you're thinking, how can AI be used in HR? What does that even look like? Basically, anything with lots of data, you can glean insights from. And let's be honest, HR is all about data. We have data in everything. So if you take a couple of the quick examples, AI in talent acquisition, right? Talent acquisition is about finding that one perfect candidate, the needle in the haystack through tons of data. So why not use technology to help us find that perfect candidate or at least the best match candidate compared to the thousands of people that we have to figure out and weed out that is not a good match to a job or a role that we have in the company. But any of the other HR processes also that have a lot of data would be very, let's just say, I don't wanna say perfect for AI, but there's a high potential to think about the benefits of using AI in things like compensation, total rewards, learning and development, right, succession, um, anything with a lot of data, basically. So let's talk, I guess, total rewards right now. Like where, where do you see or how is AI coming into play in the total rewards space? And total rewards, as I think of it, it's I kind of put compensation under that and I put benefits and I guess health yeah. and wellness, which kind of falls into that same, and I don't know if I'm missing anything else, but that's how I think of total rewards. Absolutely, and all of those things, total rewards supports our organizations to think about the employee experience. Mm -hmm. And whether it's the salary, the benefits, the vacation policies, all of those things is what kind of experience do our employees have when we're thinking about them inside our company. So. Again, all of these processes have a lot of data. 
And what AI can potentially help us with is basically figure out what do employees actually want? How can we enhance the employee experience within our companies to a way that it's almost like what we experience outside of companies? So let's just think broadly. We outside of organizations in our personal lives use all sorts of apps like Uber, like Amazon, like Netflix. And these apps are designed to basically give us what we want, when we want it, how we want it, what color we want it, mm. right? All of these things to personalize this experience that we have with these applications. Well, what if we take that same analogy and put it inside the company? How can we give our employees the experience that frankly they expect? Because of all these external apps, they now expect some of that inside the company. And how can we provide them with, with total rewards that perhaps suit their needs best? We all have different needs, different family situations, different lively situations, you know, life situations. We all have different needs. And how can we match those offerings to the different needs in the best and most reasonable way possible? Yeah, it's interesting and it's making me think of so many other questions. So from a comp standpoint, is this more predictive analytics or how else is AI being utilized from in this area of human resources? Oh, it could, absolutely, it could be. So AI can be used by some organizations where they basically support a manager in recommending the level of compensation. Now, I know that's gonna sound scary to all of you listening, where you basically have a technology basically rep recommending your salary increase. Now, obviously the human and the manager will make the final call, but what if the technology can help the human make less biased decisions? Mm, what if the technology could help the humans make decisions based on external and market data, not internal sort of confusing data, right? So all sorts of issues, you could also do further analysis around how different people are being paid. I talked about the bias issue, right? There's all sorts of conversations going around gender, yeah, pay, uh, pay equity. equity. And what if you could use technology again, not just to compare, but not to extract the data to say when, why, how, are there particular moments in people's histories where it starts to pivot how they're paid fairly or unfairly, right? I mean, all sorts of really interesting conversations the data can help us see some of that. Now, there's also been a lot of questions around the data, right? The data is biased and how will that help us? So these are all the pros and cons of any technology, including AI. How do we use this technology to help us do our jobs better? Interesting. Some of these things you just overlook sometimes. Now, from an L&D standpoint, you mentioned that. I know that coaching has, has come up and there are some higher end uh, coaches out there that are utilizing some of this AI out there. How else, or I guess, or even how is it used in, you know, from a coaching and L&D standpoint? Oh yeah, so let me talk about coaching first and then L&D. Coach, it's, believe it or not, you can use lots of AI in coaching and it, you just don't necessarily connect those two concepts readily. We have organizations that use AI to do matching so they have a lot of data, lots of coaches and executives that need coaching. So you can take a lot of intelligently assembled data, if you will, to match for a better fit from a coaching engagement perspective. 
There are other examples of organizations using AI and coaching where they're able to analyze coaching interactions, coaching conversations that have been documented, right? So again, it's presented in data and it's all anonymous, so there's no confidentiality issues, but they take all the documented coaching conversations. They can actually then compare and say, why is this manager in this region doing a better job coaching their team versus this one in another region? And the goal is obviously not to be punitive. The goal is to help all the managers become better and to become better coaches. So how can they help different people do their jobs better? And that's the goal of coaching. So it's really, and there's also apps in coaching. There are now public available apps that will tell you your public presentation skills that historically you might have paid a coach to do, whether you're speaking too fast, not loud enough, not enough enthusiasm, maybe you say too many ums or pauses, all sorts of fabulous things that an app can do for you for, in essence, like a coach. So lots of great things going on from a coaching perspective. Learning and development is another area that is perfect for AI because I already mentioned the Netflix example. Netflix learns what you like and don't like and what you do more of, watch more of. Well, what if you can, again, apply that same concept to learning? things that you may need, things that you like learning more about, things that you want to develop more skills so that you can go for that next promotion, all these sorts of things. And they do it intelligently with AI so that it recommends to you things to learn. It's not a searching the card catalog type thing. It's the system proactively recommending to you what should you consider learning more of and how might that help you. So lots of possibilities. So, I'm more on the AI train than not. But if I could play devil's advocate with you for a mm-hmm. little bit, and this is just more just to kind of flush it out, I guess. Mm-hmm. I guess let's first talk about that like algorithm, if you will, for on the L&D, like the Netflix the, the example that you used. I like that. I mean, I like that in, in Netflix sometimes if you don't know what show you're looking for or you don't have something in mind and they make some recommendations. Oh, cool, this is great. But the devil's advocate that I'm referencing is an echo chamber, meaning like that you start getting fed all the same kinds of stuff. Is that a concern or am I just getting a little too crazy over here? So I think there are concerns like that for AI and HR. And I'm not even sure the echo chamber is my biggest concern. In the research that I have done, there are concerns around ethics, biases, we're making decisions or having a system help us make decisions on people. And that's just scary. So it scares all of us. And what if the decision or the recommendations are highly biased, which we have already seen in the news to have happened? Or sometimes it might be a little bit more of an ethical dilemma. We're making decisions on people's compensations, for example. These are people's livelihoods. It determines whether they can support their families or not. And again, that makes it very scary. How do we use the information and the technology so that it actually helps people and not hurt people? So lots of challenges around using AI, not unsolvable, right? This is a technology like any technology. And all technology will have questionable features, if you will, around it. And we just need to figure out how to use it in the best manner possible. 
Yeah, great. Yeah, no, that's a good point. What about from a benefits standpoint, like something that keeps coming up with individuals in the total rewards and benefits standpoint is pharmacy. I keep hearing about pharmacy. The costs are going up. People's health is declining. Then you got mental health issues. Has AI gotten into this part of the business yet? So AI has been used in healthcare actually quite a bit. And I think even IBM Watson had been publicly touted as wanting to help more in the healthcare industry. And so, for example, we have really great stories around how AI can help with assessing cancer screens and cancer x-rays and things like that for radiology. And often the percentages show that AI can do a better job, meaning a more accurate job, than even perhaps the people who are assessing these test results and things of that nature. So it's really pharmacy, it's like the other areas of healthcare where there's just a ton of data, tons of medical reports, tons of patient documents. And again, all of this can be done confidentially or without names perhaps, so that doesn't scare people away. Mm -hmm. But if you collect a ton of data around cancer, breast cancer results, and you have the AI system look through it to tell you some interesting results around it or insights that you may not have seen because frankly, human beings are just not designed to look at gazillion points of data and see patterns within a two hour period. That's what the systems are designed to do. So we should use that system to help us. So again, back to your pharmacy example, we track everything, right? How many people, why they use these drugs, how much drugs, how often they refill, not refill, all of these points of data. What if we can use the AI to help us glean insights? Like, well, actually, this population really needs help in taking their medication or having their medication delivered. My local pharmacy now can deliver my drugs. It's like less than a mile away, but they can see that maybe people like me forget to pick things up and they will deliver it to me because that's actually helpful. So how can we take all of these gazillion points of data to figure out not only the drugs that may help people better, but how do the drugs help them in a way that is amenable to their lives? If you have people that maybe can't get to a pharmacy or can't talk to a pharmacist as well, or oh, even better, the ones that flag, I mean, I know the pharmacy systems have this, they flag drug interactions that may be dangerous, but what if they can do that even on an individual level? With all the things that go on with a human body, what if it can intelligently flag us to say, there's some warnings here, you should talk to your doctor first. Right. Those are great potentials that I think would be welcomed by people who, who could use it. So interesting that you say that. I've got a very good friend that his, oh God, well, the punchline is he was getting his wife, actually, I shouldn't even say that, it was actually his girlfriend at the time, started getting target marketing for baby stuff. What happened was that marketers knew that they were pregnant before my friend and his girlfriend knew they were pregnant. Really? Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the, to your point about, hey, how you can tell. And I don't know exactly what she was buying, but she started getting all these things for, you know, toddlers and baby food right. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. We're talking like a week or two prior to them even finding out. So yeah. that's a little scary. It is. I have to tell you, we are a little bit scared by it. Technology has the ability to scare us, but also improve our lives and make things easier. So it's a very difficult balance to take. How do you manage that? 
you know, it just seems more of a, I guess, ethics, but that's just got to play itself out. Obviously, there's going to be bad actors in anything that you do and hoping that the good gets ahead of them. You know, yeah. They're a little more at the forefront. So, yeah. so something else that's of concern to people, and I'd like to get a lot of people are like, oh, AI is going to take my job and it's going to ruin things. And yeah, it's going to eliminate a lot of jobs for sure. But it's my understanding that it's really going to, instead of eliminate jobs, open the door for other types of jobs and more creativity. Do you agree with that statement? Would you disagree or what's your take on that? I would absolutely agree. And I would sort of calm the fears if I could of all the listeners that think AI is here, robots are taking over and taking our jobs. We have a history of when technology has evolved, like in, in agriculture, in farming. A long time ago, everybody was a farmer. And now 2% of our country are farmers. And does that mean human beings disappeared? No, of course not. We found other things to do. <laughs> and this is, in my mind, similar in that way. Of course, AI is very powerful and it's very scary at times. But I would put out, here's the statement of the day. AI will require us to be more human. So it AI can do the things that we don't actually like doing. Mm -hmm. They can handle the grunt work. Let the technology do the grunt work. AI cannot replace what human beings are naturally better at. We have the competitive advantage with things like empathy, courage, compassion, problem solving, right? All of these lead to innovation. We can apply what we are better at in the jobs that we need and let the technology do the grunt work that we don't really want to do anyways, the boring work. And so that's the lessons learned is that it's not about being replaced. It's about learning to work with technology and figure out what we do better and what we're actually more engaged by doing more of. And how can we then help our companies, help our society, help our communities by doing things like caring for people and being empathetic. You don't have to be a healthcare professional, but if you're caring for someone, AI is never going to be able to show the level of compassion and empathy that we need. And especially in today's times that we're actually demanding more of from our leaders, right? We need more people and more leaders to show empathy, more compassion, more courage, right? All of these things, again, creativity to solving problems. AI can't compete with us on that. And so don't worry so much about that figure out what you like to do and how you can apply your more human traits that you're naturally good at and just do something that helps with the use of technology, not being replaced by technology. Amy, I got to tell you, now we're talking because what you're talking about is really just supports everything about my business, which is essentially developing ones, what I, I hate this term, but they call it the soft skills. I call them the durability skills. And yeah. I'd love to get your take on, on how important will these quote unquote soft skills be as we move into this next generational workforce. And I don't know if you would agree or disagree with Jeff Wiener's statement. Uh, Jeff Wiener's the CEO of LinkedIn when he said that jobs involving social interaction and social skills will be the most protected in our automated future. Absolutely. And Given what I just said, you can imagine like a chart. The more technology, the more we need our human and social skills, and the more we will need interaction. So the more you focus on those and develop those 
and roles that you can do as an individual with those skills, the more valuable you will become. So absolutely, the more technology actually requires us. That's why I say that AI will require us to be more human. God, the, yeah, that is fantastic. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Right? right? Would you call one. that the state of the day or what did you call that? That was great. Yeah, the statement of the day, <laughs> yeah. right? So don't, don't worry so much about being taken over by robots. They can't do what we can't. They can't do what we can do. Mm-hmm. And, and vice versa. We, I already said earlier, we cannot do what they can do, what AI can do which is take a gazillion points of data, find insights and patterns within a three hour time frame. Yes. We cannot do that. We're just not designed to do that. So let them do it. I like that. So we're cutting close on time here. I've got, yes. uh, I'm a big fan of quotes and I'd love to, I'm going to throw a quote at you and I'd like to know what, if anything, this quote means to you. You ready? Uh-huh. Why fit in when you should stand out? That's a good one. I think we all like to think of ourselves as unique in some way and that we stand out in some way, but it also, it's hard to stand out. It takes guts. And so being brave and having the courage to be a little different uh, sometimes takes a little bit of work. And I would say even for myself, it took perhaps many years to develop the courage to stand out. So I would say it's a great quote and We should all aspire to it, even if we're not quite there yet, and stand out in your own way, even if it's a small way, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be the biggest way ever, a small way, but stand out and figure out what's unique about you and how your uniqueness is offering to our society and our community, and I think that's a good thing. Oh, that is good. Well, and then one last question, how do you see this, because things are going to be a lot of the more mundane, repetitive tasks, if you will, be, they'll be taken out of our equation, if you will, to free us up to be a little more creative and to free us up to be a little more unique. Do Uh you see that helping us to fit, I mean, to stand out as opposed to fit in? That's a really good question. I think it will because, again, it takes advantage of what it means for us to be human. And naturally, as humans, we are more unique from each other. I mean, yes, there's groupings and populations and you know different ways that we all might behave in some similar ways but being human is actually unique because even biologically we're all very different even if it's the smallest way so i would say yes it does and for us to embrace that walk towards that instead of being fearful of the robots love that absolutely love that Amy, this was fantastic. I appreciate the insights. I hope there's some, we've opened some eyes and some ears that are out there. Myself, I do, I like to think that I evolve <laughs> conversations like this that help me to evolve. So hopefully other people have, have ascertained a lot from you during this call, or, or I'm sorry, during this conversation like I did. Where can somebody learn more about the work that you're doing? Yes, please do reach out at the conference board Again, we're a research think tank, conferenceborg.org, because we're a not-for-profit. We have lots of information as well as my information and contact information on the website. So please do reach out and take a look at what we have to offer. And many of you might already be in what we call member companies. And so you can uh, obviously learn and consume what we share and offer. That's a beautiful thing. Thank you so much for all of your shares today, Amy. You make it a great day. 
Thank you. It was really fun, and I really appreciate the opportunity, Adam. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network Wise.